Join me as we explore the realms of the witch, weird and wild, through storytelling, folklore, and walking the land. Welcome to Witch Country. Episode 2, Midwinter Special, Snow Witch Country. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode two. We've already made it to our second episode. Bizarre. Thank you so much to everyone who said kind things on Instagram and those who have messaged me about the podcast. I'm going to have to start organising myself into an actual layout of the show because I've got some news, I've got some reviews, I've got some suggestions of places to go, and then I've got some tree tales, and then I've got some stories to tell you. So lots going on this month. This is the midwinter special, and then come New Year, come 2024, I'm hoping to do one podcast a month. It might be slightly ambitious, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> So let's start with just a short little snippets of news. As I said, 2024, I'm hoping to do a monthly Witch Country podcast. Also in 2024, I'm delighted to share that I have finally got my butt in gear and booked a proper studio in which to record two audiobooks. I'm going to record Enchanted Journeys and Kitchen Witch Food, Folklore and Fairy Tales. So that is uh, my third book and my fourth book. I'll be recording them properly in a studio, which is very exciting and also quite scary. But uh, anyone who's listened to my only audiobook at present on Audible, which is Yoga for Witches, might notice that it was, uh, I recorded it myself at home during lockdown. So I put a lot of love into it, but it is not as polished as I would like. So Enchanted Journeys and Kitchen Witch will be coming out next year with the help of a lovely recording studio not far from me in the West Country. So that is very exciting. So that is my news. Let's move on now to reviews. I've had not one but two five-star reviews for the podcast on the Apple Podcasts app. I'm going to read them out to you. The first by Selkuth Sister. I, ho- I hope I'm saying that right. From Selkuth Sister. Fabulous. Sarah, I can't wait to hear more stories. My friend was at the Witch Weekend in Pendle and said it was truly poignant and powerful to have so many witches to witness their story. Thank you so much. The weekend up north was really special and I'm hoping that we will have a witch's revival event every year from now on. I know it was a lot of work for the wonderful souls who organised it, so uh, I'll just keep my fingers crossed. And then the second from Haley Jane Olivia says, Thank you. Such a beautiful podcast to listen to. Absolutely loved it and can't wait to hear more. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. It's so appreciated. And especially for someone starting out on podcasts, I'm still kind of learning the ropes. So thank you. Hugely appreciated. It's very kind of you to take the time to do that. And if anyone else would like to review or rate on 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, that would be hugely, hugely appreciated. So that's the two reviews. I also have two suggestions from listeners about places I might visit. So the first suggestion is from the lovely Hayley, who is also a fellow yoga teacher slash author. So shout out to all the yoga authors out there. (laughs) Thank you, Hayley. Um, And she suggests the very wonderful Museum of Witchcraft and Magic, which is in Boscastle in Cornwall. I went here five years ago now. I can't believe how long it's been. Um, I went for the Dark Gathering, which is an event they... They used to run at Halloween and Samhain. I hope they still do. And it is a very powerful event of fire and ritual. Uh, there's often some of the Morris dancers. And so there's a lot going on over the Dark Gathering. And you can also go through the museum lit by candles at Halloween, which is particularly beautiful. So it is a very special place and a very rich history tightly woven with the creation of Wicca and some of the key players within that as well. So I do want to go back to Boscastle. It's a wonderful place. The museum is fantastic. It's also very close to Tintagel, which is another quite magical place of folklore and myth in Cornwall. To be honest, Cornwall is just an incredibly magical place. There's lots there to to seek. So yes. Cornwall. Excellent shout. Thank you, Hayley. And it is on my list and hopefully I'll have some some tales to tell you from Cornwall soon. And Lee says this, do head to my hometown of Perth and go to the nearby village of Dunning, my ancestor's homeland, to seek out a mysterious monument to Maggie Wall. It really intrigued me as a kid and I'd love to know more about it. So as serendipity would have it, last week I went to a talk by the wonderful author Alison Shaw, who wrote a book called Ashes and Stones, which is a walking tour of Scotland and its monuments. And she actually mentions the Maggie Wall monument. So I do actually have a little bit of information for you already, Lee, courtesy of Alison, who is a much uh, more learned explorer of which monuments than I. So the monument began to appear on ordnance survey maps from about 1866, even though within parish records there seems to be no woman named Maggie Wall. But you'll notice that the monument is well cared for. The white lettering in particular is obviously quite fresh. So there are clearly local people who treat this monument with respect, and perhaps the monument in general is about offering respects to any accused witches, even if Maggie Wall herself did not exist as far as we know. So thank you for the suggestion, Lee, and if anyone else would like to share any ideas of places they would like to go or they would like me to go and talk about, feel free to share your ideas. So before we move on to tree tales, in this journey of speaking of the witch in the landscape, here in winter is a perfect time to tell you 
of the powerful crone who is creatrix of the landscape, the Kaliak or Kalak. In Celtic folklore, the darkness and wildness of winter is brought to life by powerful goddess figures, which can help bring hope to darkness, reminding us that new beginnings can shine from the darkness of winter, like the potential of a seed in the earth. When the goddesses of winter may serve to ignite change through transformative power, or act as guide through the process of seasonal death, in a way, and into new life. And this is where we meet the Kaliak, the crone goddess and queen of winter. During the darkest months, it is told that she sweeps her cloak of winter white over the land, freezing the land and tucking it in with a blanket of snow. She is the personification of the elemental power of nature. The Kaliak is the creatrix of the land. And so huge is she, so powerful, that she can use rocks and mountains to serve as her stepping stones, even creating new land from the rocks she may move. And you may well see her name in stories from Ireland, Scotland and England, featuring in folklore, stories and woven into histories of monuments and natural wonders. As she rules the darker months, she embodies a kind of dark mother figure, a kindly destroyer. As plants fall into stillness in late autumn, she appears as the bringer of storms and snow. There are some myths that say that spring will arrive when the crone goddess passes her mantle to Brigid, goddess of spring. Others say that on the longest night of the year, the midwinter solstice, the Kaliak marks the end of her reign as queen of winter by visiting the well of youth. And after drinking its magic water, she grows younger, day by day, becoming, in time, the spring maiden herself. She reaches full womanhood by summer, and then returns through autumn to her form as a crone come winter, in a perpetual and reassuring cycle of the year. Now it is time to take you upon a tree tale as we meet the pine tree, but also the story of the Christmas tree. As an evergreen tree, the pine symbolises immortality, resilience and strength, as can its fellow coniferous trees, spruce and fir, making all three very popular festive trees. 
pines can withstand bitter cold and snow, as well as rocky soil and drought. The Scots pine is one of just three conifers native to the British Isles, the others being yew and juniper, and forests of Scots pine, Pinus sylvestris, grow across the Scottish countryside and through much of Europe and as far north as the Arctic Circle. In Scotland particularly, the Scots pine is used as a marker in the landscape, marking drove roads and the borders of land. In the highlands, they marked the burial places of warriors, heroes and chieftains, and ancient trackways and crossroads. Massive pine trees can be seen standing like sentries, surrounding ancient Scottish castles and villages, symbolically seeking to keep the wild out and home safe. And of course, the very specific use for pine trees and the conifers at this time of year is the Christmas tree. In Germany, the Christmas tree is not a luxury for the well-to-do people as in England, but a necessity, the very centre of the festival. For one thing, perhaps, in a land of forests, the tree seems more in place. It is a kind of sacrament linking mankind to the mysteries of the woodland. At night, it is a true thing of wonder, shining with countless lights and glittering ornaments, with fruit of gold and shimmering festoons of silver. The Germans have quite a religious feeling for their Weichenbaums. Coming down, one may fancy, from some dim ancestral worship of the trees of the wood. Royal Trees One version of the legend of the origin of the Christmas tree has it that one winter's night in 1536, Martin Luther, the religious reformer, was walking through a pine forest near his home in Wittenberg when he saw thousands of stars glinting jewel-like amongst the branches. This wondrous sight inspired him to set up a candle-lit fir tree in his house that Christmas to remind his children of the starry heavens. And decorated Christmas trees, sometimes fir or a yew, made their appearance in Germany as a yule decoration. Fast forward to England. Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, is often credited with being the first to introduce the Christmas tree to Britain. And although he may have bought the first firs as Christmas trees, the title for the first festive tree rightfully belongs to his aunt, Queen Charlotte. Yes, that one we know and love from the Bridgerton franchise, the wife of George III, that Queen Charlotte. She set up the first festive tree, but it was a yew tree. And as early as 1761, she was hanging up decorated yew branches as a tradition from her homeland in Germany to celebrate Yule. When young Charlotte came to England in 1761 to marry King George, she brought with her many of her customs, and this included the decorated yew boughs placed in the palace at Yule. And then in 1800s, she potted up an entire yew tree. She covered it with baubles and fruit, loaded it with presents, and stood it in the middle of the drawing room, at Queen's Lodge, from the branches of which hung 
sweets and nuts wrapped in paper, fruits and toys. And then the whole thing was illuminated by little wax candles. And apparently all that visited this tree were entranced by it and each child was given a little portion of sweets or nuts and a little toy and they all returned home quite delighted. And this Christmas tree tradition continued to flourish and then in December 1840, Prince Albert imported several spruce trees to Windsor Castle. And then a publication called the Illustrated Press shared pictures of these royal trees in 1848. And that's, once seeing the pictures of the royals really bringing the whole tradition to life, was really when it caught on with the masses in England. And now in many homes, we might have a spruce or a pine or a fir tree decorated with many shining things and sparkling lights. So from sparkling pine trees and Christmas trees, we journey to some snowy folk tales from various corners of the British Isles. We start quite traditionally with what might be considered a ghost story. We are very fond of gathering around crackling fires and telling ghost stories during the festive season, perhaps to make us feel even more grateful that we are inside safe and warm. This folk tale is called The White Kitten. One bitterly cold winter, a caravan of travellers was struggling up a hill during a snowstorm on Christmas Eve, desperate to reach the village of Stowe-on-the-Wold by midnight. Stowe-on-the-Wold is a very beautiful village within the Cotswolds in the west of England. But the snowstorm was so fierce they were brought almost to a standstill they didn't want to stop completely because they were scared of the ghosts that haunted the forests that loomed around them as they tried to reach the village. Folks called these ghosts the snow foresters. And despite their best effort, the travellers did get stuck in the snow. Their horses just couldn't keep going through that thick snow and the storm that whirled around them. So they came to stop. And as soon as they did come to a standstill, the snow foresters descended, whining and screeching, whirling around the caravan of travellers, pattering on the windows. The ghosts surrounded the caravan. But amongst all this noise... A little boy of the group heard a mewing that was not the snow foresters. 
and he opened the door just a chink and a little white kitten leapt in. Send it out, said his mother, for white cats belong to the witches and are thought to be bad omens. No, mum, it's as lost as us and as little as me. We can't turn it out. And what's more, tis Christmas Eve tonight. And on Christmas Eve, it's said, the cats will speak if we ask them in rhyme. And so, inspired by this superstition and hopeful he will earn the right to keep the kitten, the little boy says, Is this true, Kit Kat? Can you speak? Tell us that. And with that, the Kit Kat speaks. It is true, said the Kit Kat. And you'll all win safe through if ye can keep on until the church bells. Hearken to the birds a-twittering and follow after them. And with that, right above them, above the sound of the snow foresters, they heard a twittering, a twittering of hundreds of little birds flying up to sing their own Christmas carols on the way to the church at Stowe on the Wold. And with this, they all plucked up their courage and strengthened their hearts and shouted to the horses to heave. As they drew up out of the snow and were moving once more. The party all sang every carol they could think of to keep the snow foresters at bay until they came at last the edges of the village and a little farm and there a farmer let them lodge for the sake of Christmas charity and come morning when the sun was shining on Christmas day the Christmas bells were ringing out and the snow had stopped and the little white Kit Kat was gone The little boy was sad to lose the cat, but he cherished the memory of their moments with this special being. I am grateful to have met her, said the little boy, for she was not a witch's cat. I think she was a fallen angel earning her way home. And our second folk tale takes us from the West Country and the beautiful Cotswolds down into Cornwall, a place of much myth and magic. And this story is called The Pig and the Witch. One Thursday at the end of harvest, the witch known as Old Betty went to Penzance intending to buy a pig that she might fatten for a fine midwinter feast. She found a pretty pig which suited her fancy, and she turned around to gather her coins when one Tom Trenoweth purchased the sow while the witch's back was turned. And Betty was furious. 
She shook her bony finger at Tom and cast a curse under her breath, but he took no notice and took his pig home. But when Tom rose early the next morning, he found that the pigsty door was open and the pig was rooting around in a neighbour's garden and it took many hours to get the pig back again and scarce a night passed that the pig did not escape, often causing mischief that Tom would have to pay for. And this was not the only problem. November passed and the pig was given piles of corn and milk and oats and she never got any fatter. In fact, the more she ate, the leaner she seemed to become. So the pig was getting thinner and thinner as midwinter approached. Tom, finding that his pig had eaten and destroyed more than she was worth, and all the time getting leaner, decided to sell her. So he fastened a rope to her leg, intending to lead her to market. But as soon as he had tied the rope, a hare leaped out from a bush beside the road and the pig followed after at such a pace that she was dragging Tom along behind her. She dragged him over the moors, over hedges and ditches, through bogs, brambles, for many miles. Exhausted, his clothes torn to rags and going almost as fast as the hare, they finally stopped for a moment by a bridge and Tom took this moment to cut the rope, and he fell, splat, into a cold stream, and the pig took shelter under the bridge, and suddenly this hare was nowhere to be seen. Tom sat, wet and downcast. But then, who should come by but old Betty, with her basket upon her arm? When she saw Tom sitting in the wet, She seemed surprised. Tom told her the pig was under the bridge and, admitting defeat, she could have the beast. The old witch gave Tom half of what he paid for the pig and he was glad to accept it. Then Betty went down to the mouth of the bridge and the pig came out and followed her home as peaceful and as loyal as a dog. So Tom, relieved of this riotous pig, took the road home and stopped at an inn to spend his coins on a restorative beer. All who heard Tom's story agreed that the hare that crossed his path was probably no other than the witch herself in hare form. Such the story goes. And old Betty, she took her pretty pig home. But she did not eat her for Christmas. She feasted on vegetable pies and apple cider instead. In fact, Betty kept her pig for many years, and that pig led a happy life and had many piglets. And they all received special servings of oats and dried fruits and grains soaked in apple cider from old Betty each and every Christmas.
And that, my friends, is the end of the Christmas special of Witch Country. We've journeyed from the folklore of Scotland all the way down through the West Country and into Cornwall to meet old Betty and her well-loved pig. So all that remains now as we take a rest from our adventures is to wish a very Merry Christmas, a joyful midwinter and a bright Yuletide to all. Thank you for joining me on the journey today. I hope as we part ways you feel a little enchanted and bewitched, inspired perhaps to walk a new path next time you head out into your own witch country. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing. If you'd like to come and say hello, you can find me on Instagram at thisiswitchcountry. I'd love to hear your ideas, feedback and suggestions for further adventures into the wilds. Until next time, enjoy your walks in the wilds of the witch country. <laughs>